We've got to be careful with these chips. I feel like the crunches have been coming through loud and clear. No, they have been. I've heard. I've had some comments from some of our listeners with less tolerance for that kind of nasty business. I think it's my phone. Oh, sorry. We both don't have cases, and we have the same size phone. Is it the same phone? What are you? iPhone thirteen. I think. Is this not the fourteen? I don't even know anymore. This is the thing. I'm like a nerd, right? Mm. I don't even know what my phone is. I think yep. it's a fourteen. There was a moment for a while in the culture where you could really, and I don't know if this was just like the reality or just I was of the age where I was paying attention to this sort of stuff, Mm. but it was a time where it was like, I remember the iPhone 4 came out in like 2010. Yeah, yeah. It was a real iPhone 4 era. You can tell every phone. And you remember he goes, but now they all kind of look the same. The innovation's over. And the big differentiator is the dynamic island, right? The dynamic island. Dynamic island. But I'm sorry, but- Every time I see a video of it, I don't have it currently. I'm sure it's like fully normalized for people who do. But whenever I see like a screen recording, it actually looks disgusting to me still. And I was a pro. Like I'm very much an Apple apologist, right? Like when they release a new feature, I'm usually just like, it's Apple. They know what they're doing. When they got rid of the button down the bottom, I'm like, it's the better way to do things. Make the whole phone the screen. And like usually they're right. The dynamic island, every time I see it, I still get a little disgusted. Yeah. Like, just instinctively. Like, I'm not thinking, like, rational brain, lizard brain is a little disgusted by it. Wow. You know what? Maybe this is growing up. (laughs) I guess this is growing up. There was a time when your parents checked out of new stuff, and Mm. by the time email came along, they were like, it was a struggle for them. Mm. One finger typing. Exactly. There was There's a threshold where you're like, you kids go on, I'll catch up. Yeah, yeah. You never catch up. Oh, yeah, you just abandon. But I I guess I've kind of done that with, like, TV and stuff. And it's quite liberating, to be perfectly frank, being like, you know what? There's a whole thing that I just don't know anything about. And I'm happy for when that comes up, my brain just kind of drifts off to other places. Well, maybe because, like, AI is coming down the pipeline now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm paying attention to AI stuff. I'm doing, you know, I'm fucking around with ChatGPT. Very much me too. You, You are as well. But maybe, like, we are the last generation who has to, like, make the conscious decision or make the decision consciously or not, rather, to, you know, give up on technology. <laughs> Maybe we don't have to do it anymore because we're hitting that sort of accelerating threshold. We're the first ones who are right to give up, you're saying. Yeah, no. Well, no like it, the correct response right now is to you know, give up on no, knowing. Historically, you let go of the reins. Yeah. And, like, some kid picks it up and goes, yeah. I will learn how to use, I don't know, MySpace. <laughs> But in this I'll, case, the kid case, is- well, yeah, And the computer takes <laughs> the over. The kid is a neural network. Exactly. We're just like, you, you run with it, brother. Take us to Mars. <laughs> perfect, perfect introduction. Well, it was, a, it, was a seg- it was planned. As long as 10 seconds ahead of time, I planned that little transition. That's why you're the pro, mate, and I'm just the amateur. Exactly. AI taking our jobs. Yeah. We did do an AI Doom episode a couple months ago, Mm -hmm. but that was very much about the panic that AI was going to, like, quite literally destroy humanity. Yeah. That was the vibe that was in the air for a minute there. Yep, yep. You know, GPT-4 had just come out. More people were using ChatGPT. There was this bizarre vibe that AI was about to literally- mutate into a super intelligence yep. and kill us all. And, you know, there are still people talking about that. But in the process of, like, digging into that universe, we didn't quite go into 
I guess the primary concern for a lot of people right now who are thinking about this stuff is that AI is going to like insanely disrupt our existing kind of like world of work to the point that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs Mm -hmm. or be forced into different kinds of work or it's going to be at the very least an internet level disruption of people's work and maybe more. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take our jobs. Mm. Careful with those chips, Hino. Mm. Sorry, I was trying to chew away from the mic, but yeah, got to do it for the for the fans. It picks up everything. The SM7B, same mic that Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on. Are we that, still allowed to say that? Is that true? That's true. Yeah. I think you're allowed to say it. You, 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 but I don't, I'm not saying it's good or bad. You're just, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not weighing in on Thriller at all. To me, it's a, it's a nothing album. <laughs> this um, happens to be the same microphone used by the artist who recorded the album Thriller. Also, I think yeah, probably Joe Rogan records on this. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kings of Leon also famously used the yeah, SM7B. So, so just know that we are we're recording on pro stuff. <laughs> we spare no expense. Anyway, but it's actually there is some stuff in the news. Yeah, that gives us reason to talk about this rather than just our own navel gazing. The Godfather of AI. Yep, that's number one. Go, like, talk, but talk but why why the Godfather? For starters, of AI, Jeffrey Hinton. Like, what separates you from the Godfather and the Grandfather? I say this because earlier I was kind of googling, like, is he the Grandfather or the Godfather? But he's the Godfather. What does the Godfather of something mean? I feel like if you call someone the Grandfather of a technology, you're kind of like suggesting that they innovated something decades in the past that like set the stage. That set the yeah. Whereas fair. the Godfather, you're kind of like suggesting that we're very early. And like in a sort of like, and a, they're still relevant, and they're still present, of, and overseeing to like to a spiritual in a spiritual sense of what what's going on. Yeah, that's just right. my sort of vision. But maybe I'm being ageist as well because Jeffrey Hinton, who we're talking about, the supposed Godfather, he's like in his seventies, right? So maybe yeah. I was just yeah. So that was being unfair, and I put my hand up. I take full responsibility and accountability. According to our Substack stats, there are or Spotify stats or something. There's like one or two percent of you who are over sixty five years old. Yeah. And shouts out to you I now for see staying you. on top of things. I see you as godfathers. Mm. Anyway, Jeffrey Hinton. So he's like a bloke who's been working on AI for like literally 50 years. A, v, a vice president at um, Google. Yeah. Helped lay down some of the foundations of the technology that now powers GPT, all, all the modern AI stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. So very inf- influential through the field. He's recently quit Google. He's very much someone who's, like, not very outspoken, blah, blah, blah. Quit Google. What it kind of seems like the vibe is, and I don't want to put words in his mouth because he recently did, like, a speech at a um, an event. But basically, he's always been very much more of the cautious approach. And he says that he thinks Google has been doing things responsibly for the entire time he was there. But right now, market forces are pressuring them to move in a faster, perhaps more irresponsible manner. That's putting words into his mouth. He actually specifically says that Microsoft and OpenAI are moving in an irresponsible manner and the nature of capitalism and market forces is that Google have to respond in order to stay relevant. And so he has now stood down from from Google. He doesn't feel comfortable with the pace at which AI is innovating. In particular, he's concerned about, A, the spread of disinformation, misinformation, yeah, yeah. deep fakes, et cetera, and jobs. Yeah, and the second part is jobs. That's been happening and it's been in the news. I mean, there's some relatively sensational coverage that it's like, you know, the godfather of AI says that we are hurtling towards disaster. Mm. His um, objections are a little bit more nuanced than that. 
there's that. But there's also a little bit of discontent sort of bubbling up on the labour side in terms of people worrying about AI displacing their jobs. Yes. Sorry, um, this is more your area. I, you know, me, I'm a- You're I'm a big a, picture I'm a, guy. I'm a C-suite guy. Yeah. You whereas hear, you're an arts kind of guy. You, you hear a guy described as the godfather or something, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. For um, me, that's relevant. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I speak for the creatives yeah, and of I guess, the world. And I guess the movie watchers or whatever, screenplay yeah. watchers. Yeah, as someone who has watched a film in the last 10 years, <laughs> I'm better placed than you to comment on the- on cinema. Well, yeah, it will impact you more heavily. <laughs> Sorry, we've just been absolutely talking shit. The you know the Hollywood Screenwriters Guild, so the union representing Hollywood screenwriters, are on strike at the moment. They last went on strike over a decade ago in a time that was relatively devastating for the TV industry at the time. It was hugely disruptive, their strike, and they extracted some wins out of that. But they've gone on strike again. And, you know, the primary reason for the strike is the same as it ever was, questions of compensation and their, how much they're being paid for their, their work and the conditions that work. Mm. But in a sort of new twist, one of the things that they're really concerned about is the intrusion of AI or generative AI into their profession. Mm. So there are a lot of industries who are kind of working out what the influence of ChatGPT and GPT-4 and all these generative AI uh, systems are going to be on the way that they they operate, but the very first people to sort of freak out about it a bit and put their foot down have been the writers, which is kind of understandable because you can open up ChatGPT right now and say, "Write me a screenplay in which Raf Dixon mm-hmm. stops a speeding bus mm-hmm. from taking out a bunch of school kids crossing the road." And make it like really action packed and cool and exciting, and in film noir style. Film noir style, and at the end. A beautiful woman gives him a big smooch. <laughs> you know, you can write that and Chad GPT will first be like, well, who is Raph Dixon? No, actually, it'll just make it up. It'll just be like, okay. It'll make it up. Yeah. Well, I think you've done that and it says that I'm an AI ethicist, which is correct. <laughs> anyway, so you can understand why the Hollywood screenwriters are a bit concerned. Speaking to someone that I know that works in the industry and in, in mm, connections, connections across the Pacific oceans, you know, in uh, Hollywood, the dream laboratory, Holly weird, Holly weird. Exactly. The stuff they get up to over there. And he said anecdotally that he has heard of instances in which, you know, the money men, the, the Hollywood executives, the producers are kind of like generating ideas in chat GPT being like, can you punch this up? Like, can yeah, you take yeah. this thing that this, been spat out by the machine. I don't think they're quite at the level where they're ready to, you know, let GPT write scripts for them. But they're fairly- obviously highly aware that people are basically using it. That their bosses effectively are already using it to be like, I've got an idea. I'm just going to punch out a draft script and like get the minions now to just tidy it up. Exactly. And you can see where that goes. You can see where that goes. So the Screenwriters Guild are like, don't like this at all. They made an offer in their latest contract negotiations that was basically, like, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of, we don't want you to use ChatGPT or any of these generative AI systems to write scripts. If this stuff is going to be used, it's only going to be used in very controlled situations with people who are like members of our union mm. um, and overseen by screenwriters, etc. And this was one of the things that the studios rejected. Mm. In their in their offer, and the studio came back with no. But our counter offer is that we have a meeting with you once a year about advances in technology. Mm. Once a year, we'll sit down and talk to you about how cool AI is getting. The two parties are a fair way apart. 
Oh, exactly. So anyway, so one of the reasons they're striking, and if you look at photos of the the picket line, there are a lot of like ChatGPT related signs, mm. which is like you know that's just that that's classic gear to see like people striking with signs that say like no to ChatGPT. You couldn't get any better than that. Oh yeah, that's what we love, folks. That's real down around fodder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, real kind of cyberpunk era. No, exactly. And you know, there's the other stuff are kind of bubbling up. The MEAA, which is the union representing media and journalists in Australia. They've put out a couple of statements about using generative AI in producing journalism and things like that. That's what they're doing with my Jews, are they? Yeah, yeah they, they're they putting on drinks at the Aurora and they're putting out releases about ChatGPT. That's what your, pay, your, your money's paying for. Anyway, so the, the point of talking about both the, this sort of stuff is that some people in some industries are starting to get relatively worried and pushing back on it in quite an active way. Yeah. But it's not just like writers that are potentially at risk from this stuff? No, they're just the most obvious ones at this stage who, like, they're literally would be being replaced in certain circumstances. I don't think that, yeah, we're we're a fair way away from, like, yeah. ChatGPT writing a legitimate script to the next James Bond or whatever. Yeah. Look, it's a tough one because, listen, Karl Marx wasn't anti-technology. Mm-hmm. In fact, the opposite. He saw automation coming and said that it should be embraced, but that obviously the workers should own the means of production i.e. left-wing thought in the union, like it's not a Luddite stream of thinking because obviously, as everyone should recognise, not just Karl Marx, both Adam Smith, I'm sure, through to uh, Ayn Rand, (laughs) Ayn Rand to Karl Marx, I think all kind of can agree that it's pretty hard to stop the march of technology, of technological progress. It's going to happen is what I'm getting to. I'm not the first person to say technology will march on. It's going to happen regulation, etc., isn't going to stop technology from happening. The tools will arrive, and if they arrive, they'll be used. And if they make processes more efficient, you're rarely going to stop it through contract negotiation. That's just going to hurt the industry that is implementing those rules or signing up to those rules. On the flip side, solidarity forever. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. So the anxieties are starting to build up. We talked about writers and people in like writing adjacent fields as being kind of like the obvious ones where there are concerns, particularly if you're in the media, you're probably worried about, you know, not just AI being used to generate new writing for Mm. people to consume, but also like shaking up the way that it's distributed and things like that. Is my publication that I work for going to be around if people can just ask ChatGPT to give them a digest of everything that's been going on, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But people have also seen the fact that we've talked about in the past, ChatGPT, one of the fastest adoptions or possibly the fastest adoption of a consumer technological product ever had like 100 million users yeah. a month, blah, blah, blah. You've heard the, the marketing talk. But as we've said in other episodes, like I'm sure there are people in our audience right now who are like, I'm using ChatGPT and right now to like make my job take 20% of the time as it yeah. used to. That stuff is obviously happening. And even the people who are doing that are probably thinking, well, if my job can be done like that, all it takes is for my manager to wake up one day and be like, I only need one person in this team as opposed to five people. Yeah, yeah. And start sacking people. Look, it's going to change the way we work 100%. Right now, there are some obvious areas that are being impacted massively. One is obviously anyone who writes anything, writing any form of kind of article or longer form things, if your job involves writing things, ChatGPT has made your job faster. It might not replace you, but it's made your job massively faster. And yes, 
if businesses are looking for efficiencies and they recognize that your job is way faster, then that's going to impact your position and people like you in, in that position. Education, another one that's been obviously massively hit immediately. Like yep. all teachers immediately were having crisis meetings about like, oh, all my students are using this to generate essays. What do we do? Another like immediate impact from this, as you say, education's been hit, not just in terms of teachers being like, oh, shit, now my job involves auditing every essay, the take-home essay that our kids do to make sure hasn't been generated by GPT. Chegg, which is a terribly named online education Mm. platform, put out a statement which basically said that ChatGPT had so dramatically affected their business straight out the gate. Mm. Keep in mind, this is the, they do a bunch of things, but one of their core things is sort of like online education materials. Yeah. People go, okay, I'm going to read one of these Chegg courses to understand a topic or whatever. Yeah. So dramatically affected that they couldn't provide forward guidance for their earnings mm. for the next quarter, which they'd been providing reliably before. And that's despite the fact that Chegg had announced a partnership with OpenAI. So they'd been on the front foot mm. and said, we're, we're going to partner with this new challenger. They were still like, I don't think people are going to come to us in the future for this stuff. No, totally. Uh, and more broadly in education, my brain always goes away from like, ban chat GBT. You know, students should not be allowed to use it because that will inevitably not work. Like, it just doesn't work. No. We know that it doesn't work. To... I think it's going to make education better in this case. I know this is not what we're talking about in this episode, and I've said it before. Make education more like a conversation. Like, your exams are a conversation with the teacher asking you questions. That's what, in life, is a better skill than writing an essay. Having a chat with someone and being able to explain an argument, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, yeah, coming up with your three dot points in person, then going away and using ChatGPT to, like, turn it into an essay that elucidates those points in a good manner. All of that. I can see that being better. Like, I actually think that might fix a lot of the education system, makes it less rote learning and more creative thinking. The two paths that education can basically take in response to this stuff are A, prioritizing in-person testing, making it so we don't do- Take-home essays. Take-home essays. We don't, like, it's all in-person, like old school. Or the second way is exactly what you say, which is like completely embrace this stuff, realize that you can't really fight it. And, you know, keeping in mind, it's, it's just like the, you know, the invention of the calculator or whatever. It's a classic example, but the idea of like- Show you're working out. Do you keep calculators out of the educational process, despite the fact they're going to then be thrown into a professional environment where they have a calculator on them at all times and like the basic arithmetic skills that were once absolutely necessary to thrive in the professional world aren't necessary anymore? Or do you sort of embrace the reality of how the real world is and just like- have all the instruction involve the tool from the from the get-go. But I mean, I also just think that the essay was valuable as a tool in order to elucidate an argument, right? That's the point of an essay. Totally. Like, be persuasive in writing. If the essay has been commodified and everyone can just pound one out, then it undermines the value of the essay itself. And it'll be, yeah, totally. It'll be less important. The actual essay itself, as a tool, as a thing that people can do, is going to be... We won't need it as much. No, I, I agree. Which is why, why is the first option where it's like, let's just return to the in-person essay where you're, like, you're given the question and you have to write it out in pencil or whatever. It just no longer has any relevance to what people do. Yeah, and so I, why be taught in that form? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to be perfectly frank, well, sure, like I do understand the fundamentals are important, blah, 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 blah. But even in professional life, no one's writing essays. Maybe a persuasive email, but the deck. <laughs> speak, speak for yourself, mate. You should see some of my Slack messages. 
Yeah, well, they're yeah. off the chain. Yeah, yeah. TLDR. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that happened to you or happy for you. Um, <laughs> but the three key dot points. At the end of the day, that's what everything boils down to. From an essay to a deck, it's three dot points and a couple examples. Give me the three. Hit them with three dot points. That is what is going to be the foundation of like all your GBT prompts. And therefore, if all you need is the three dot points and then you're creating this, like all this extra bullshit via chat GBT, then the extra bullshit has no value itself either. So like bring it back, bring it back to the three dot points. That's all we need. Is that bad? Is that going to lead to the society going to the dogs? Probably. But here we are. But imagine if everyone was able to provide three sharp, concise dot points mm. for everything they're trying to convey. Well, exactly. ChatGPT should be used the opposite way, which is like, here's my meandering essay. Summarize this into three hot dot points. Yep, exactly. Every every interaction in life. You're One. At, <laughs> you're at Woolies and you just need to pick up a few things for dinner. Three dot points. Yeah. What three things do you need right now? Yeah. Wrap. Salad mix and some roast chicken. Bang. Done. You know, you're getting married. You go to the wedding planner. Three fucking dot points. You know, I want to celebrate. I want some music. I want some food. Bang. Three dot points. See, how, how much better life would, would life yeah, be? Yeah, yeah. You want an upgrade on the flight. Three dot points. Flirt, flirt, flirt. <laughs> okay, well, you're out of my comfort zone right now. So clearly, clearly, clearly that's your business class method. Anyway, anyway. Jobs, 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 jobs. Sorry, back, back to jobs. Will jobs go? Yes, is the answer to the question. Here are the jobs in most danger. Go. So right now, and I know we've got a bunch of consultants listening to this, we all know it's not an honourable profession. <laughs> but, you know, someone's got to go in there and earn a dollar. Do you think people that work for McKinsey sleep soundly at night, knowing what they've done to society? Look, of course not. In the past, when I've been on that salary, I slept like a baby. <laughs> sure. <laughs> not McKinsey. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> to, be, to be very clear. Yeah. But point being, I think the consultants, they doth maketh the better that they doth once will regret us. That's a classic, yeah, classic saying. Look, if you're a consultant and you're anywhere near the AI field, you know that now is the time to make bank. Make hay while the sun is shining. And the sun has shined for a long time on consultants. Mm. Well, that's not true. I guess like a few years ago, there was some consolidation and this, that and the other. But anyway, consultants are survived they've done they have done well they've over done the past 50 years let's say and right now if you're anywhere near the ai field and if you're a management consultant right now you're talking about how can businesses incorporate ai but at least from my perspective it seems like ai will replace the consultant in a lot of businesses and i said this before you know if all of a sudden all of this data that businesses are kind of tracking can be actually processed by AI in real time and it can spit out in natural language, like here are a bunch of insights and actions that you should be taking and bring in other data from other sources and blah, 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 blah. Then I think the consultants, and I only bring this up as like, who cares about consultants as an employment class in the world? I say that because I understand our audience might have a few of them in that. I think consultants better be aware. Yeah, I mean- it, it's no uh, coincidence that the first companies that you hear about integrating GPT, for example, at a really fundamental level are the consultants. You know, mm. there was a, a bunch of coverage over a month ago that KPMG were releasing like an internal tool, which was in, in, they say was intended for like their sales teams, analyze data and build up pitches and things like that, mm. which is based on GPT, like fully AI. But- if you think about what 
OpenAI are building right now, which a lot of it comes to do with like plugins and like data analytics and mm. things like that. And what you can upload CSVs and say like provide insights. Exactly, which is what they do. Yeah. You know? It just takes them a couple months doing God's know God knows what yeah. to come out with the answers. And Microsoft is incorporating this into like their core product, right? That's like all of the data that you would have in your Microsoft Dynamics 365 or whatever that you would otherwise be getting a data scientist to be doing SQL queries and creating Power BI dashboards and like somehow coming up with insights or whatever. If that is just done for you, there's a bunch of jobs that are pretty much gone. Like the data scientist, I don't know if that was ever a real job. To me, it seemed like data scientist, your job was like A, early days, someone who could make a pivot table in Excel and then B, someone who could, yeah, do like SQL, like SQL queries. And then you get to call yourself a scientist. I don't know. That's that's pretty good. Like calling yourself a scientist, I was just always sus on that, right? (laughs) <laughs> like, unless you're a professor, you know. Yeah, you're right. The data scientist really snuck into the science. Yeah, like, no beakers involved, no, you know. When, when I hear scientist, I think someone who's shooting, like, lasers at chemicals to produce, like, a reaction that's, like, so far beyond what we, you know. someone At the very least, I want to see a Bunsen burner. you got to see a Bunsen burner, exactly. Or, like, a Large Hadron Collider. Is yeah. it too much to ask for a Large Hadron? Yeah, exactly. Atoms. We want to be talking about atoms, not, like... Like a data scientist. Data scientist, like a guy who's like analyzing Uber Eats data <laughs> to find out like possible efficiencies in like the yeah. the serving algorithm. You're not a scientist. You're not a scientist. Well, let me just say, the free ride is up. <laughs> yep. You're it's, a civilian. It's over. You're a civilian again. <laughs> Get that scientist out of your goddamn LinkedIn take, bio. Take off that fucking coat. <laughs> Yeah, the data science is trouble. Anyway, like <laughs> AI will have an impact. It's going to have an impact on consulting. You know, there was an article that came out today uh, as we're recording this in The New Yorker from Ted Chang, who's a sci-fi writer, who also does a lot of commentary. And he basically wrote about AI is going to not just replace, he wasn't even talking about in the sense of like making consultants lose their job, but he was like AI is going to be like the new McKinsey of society. It's going to be like this overarching structure, this kind of like Illuminati sort of vibe mm. that informs the way the rest of the economy works, identifies efficiencies, tells people who to fire, that sort of shit. It's a relatively apocalyptic vision, but I, I get where he's coming from. you know. And in- I don't get the McKinsey connection in that. Like I do get like that, yeah, McKinsey, whatever, the company that comes in and tells you who to fire or whatever. That's just like management consultancy. They're hardly like a, I know people say like they're the dark hand that's the influence in all like major corporations, but like AI is going to be in small businesses. Like no, sure. The access will be much wider. I agree with that. Um, and Because I do agree with the, ma- the major point. Yep. If companies are able to track data and actually use it, because I think that's the issue, like tracking data is super easy. Well, not super easy, but like businesses have all been doing it for decades. The era of big data, and again, I've said it before, like we had this kind of era of big data as like data, data, it's super important. And every business was just like hoovering up all this data. And you had businesses like friggin' Snowflake and these data warehouse companies. Yep, data bricks and stuff like that. Yeah, that's just like their whole business model is based on people just pumping data into these tables, <laughs> whatever, effectively, these databases. But now we actually do have a way to usefully use that information as opposed to just like not really know what to do with it. And that 
way is AI. And yes, I definitely think that in HR and stuff, every business can be like Amazon and log every employee's working hours and efficiency and how much they're using Microsoft Teams and how quickly they respond to emails and blah, blah, blah. Then make suggestions in natural language again on who's the most efficient, who's not, what incentives to provide, who should be fired, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. I can see that happening. And it's a, it's certainly a, it's a grim future, but because you're right, we went through this period of data just being one of the le- less important outputs of your average company. Mm. Obviously, if you're in software and um, a bunch of other fields, finance, the data was incredibly important. But for a lot of businesses for a long time, all the data that they were collecting just absently was just like one output of the, the work they were doing. Mm. And the past 10 years, there have been this real push towards you know, you can instrumentalize that data. You can start all this stuff you're picking up, all this customer intent data, all this stuff yeah, that you're yeah. collecting from transactions. Yeah, yeah. You can actually turn that into like usable, marketable stuff. Mm. And yes, companies like Databricks, Snowflake, they popped up to help companies facilitate that. But you're right. Now we're staring down a world where it's like any company that collects data can just plug all their shit into GPT or whatever with these plugins or, or, or whatever the interface is and be like, tell me, Right, you know, with strike bomber style with one finger on your keyboard. Yeah. Tell me how I can make my business better. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it turns up all this stuff you've been collecting. HR is another area, and this just came to me when I was, because I mentioned HR. That's an area I can see being disrupted because, like, let's be honest, HR is kind of like in a lot of businesses, and sorry if you're in HR, I know you guys get picked on all the time, but maybe it's for good reason. You know, don't shoot the messenger, but in this case, <laughs> you got to shoot the messenger. you got to start shooting at least. But, you know, like HR, typically I know that they'll say like, oh, you know, our job is like once an employee comes into the organization, it's to like increase their productivity immediately and like keep it at that high level until they leave. But like HR's basic job is like the fundamental boring, no offense, monkey work, um, where it's like, okay, we're looking for jobs. We interface with some agency. The agency, like, gives us some candidates. We do a pre-screening of these candidates, and then we kind of on-suggest the people. And then, like, in situations where managers think that someone might be underperforming, it's our job to, like, know the law with regards to how to move them on or performance manage them or what have you. And maybe come up with some nice kind of salary packaging options to keep people happy or whatever. I can see a lot of that being automated as well, realistically. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. I agree. But the big one that keeps coming up, which I think speaks to the whole, is AI going to take all of our jobs or disrupt all of our jobs or whatever? And I think this is firmly in like the no camp is- Podcasters, agree. Podcasters, yes, exactly. You can never automate what Raph and I do. I I said to Raph before we started this episode, you know, there's a lot of these- Kind of jokey ones, which are like, oh, we can make a podcast where it's like uh, Karl Marx and Adam Smith having a debate. Mm. And the, you know, we can use all these incredible vocal synthesis stuff to, to make it really realistic. And I was like, you cannot, I cannot think of more, I, I hate to use this language, more like NPC behavior <laughs> than listening to an AI-generated podcast. Oh, my God. But maybe, maybe the kids of today into it. No. What I was going to say is like software development and mm. programmers. You know, for years and years and years, the people who have fallen victim to the digital economy have been told, learn to code. Learn to code. Poor advice, turns out. Yeah, learn to code. It turns out- the computer- And I know a lot of you are listening. 
Yeah, I, I bet there's at least one of you who has said that to one of your erstwhile journalist friends. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you what's hurtful. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I know, I know Python, I know, but yeah, what? Because obviously, one of the one of the things that GPT can do, and a lot of these new AI generated things, they can generate a fuckload of code, mm. and then they're actually pretty good at it. You know, not perfect, and it's not always the best solution, but it certainly replaces kind of like the GitHubification of the programming prof- profession in the past. You know, you can say, generate me a bit of code that I don't know makes a a checkout application for my retail shop or something yeah and it will do something that's like functional most likely no no right now the low level coding jobs you know like the no coders which i put myself in i'm like a no coder which is such a cringy thing that people like admit openly or whatever but you know because i dig around on the weekends as you know i've got a few i always have a a few little projects on the go just a little some fun stuff you know yeah like you know kind of weekend activities in the gray area of legality you know (laughs) I wouldn't call it fraudulent. Maybe, maybe the gray area of morality. I don't know so much about legality. I'd say it's all very much above board. Yeah. <laughs> the point being, I muck around. We all do. Why not? But recently, jobs that otherwise, yeah, you would have had to pay short. We're talking about like a low-level dev in this case, a few grand to whip up. I can literally do on Replit and ChatGPT. Just bust them out. Like I've just been kind of doing things that were above what I can do from a code perspective, because, you know, I know a little bit of JavaScript, but I haven't ever gone deep enough to be able to properly sit there and write out hundreds and hundreds of lines. Totally. I can bash together a function or whatever. But now with like ChatGPT and, yeah, like something like Replit, I can just pump some stuff out. The other week, things like Facebook and stuff, they're more complicated with how they want their API to work. You need to be sending responses and this, that, and the other. And I was like, I don't know how to send the proper response. Bang, free Replit account, ask ChatGPT, create like this live server that catches webhooks and like sends responses and connects a bunch of things together. Yeah, sure. It's not particularly complex code, but I'm not a dev Mm. and I can now just get a machine to write that for me. Yeah, totally. And that's right now, something I wouldn't have been able to do before and I probably would have had to pay someone a couple of grand to like bash together for me. I can now just do. No, it's a huge change. From a marketing perspective, the same thing, like on thanks pages. So like when you buy something online from e-commerce or whatever, if you want to pass data on to say Google and Facebook or whatever, you reach the thanks page. And usually there's like a little bit of JavaScript that says, here's the email that from the person who purchased it. Here's an anonymous ID or a Facebook ID. Here's how much they paid for it. This, that, and the other. And that you can send that conversion data to all of your various platforms, blah, 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 blah. That piece of JavaScript, previously you'd have to get some kind of marketer who knows a bit of code to write. Now, you can literally ask ChatGPT. It'll just bash it out for you, tell you how to do it, tell you how to put it on your friggin' Shopify or your Wix or whatever it is. That's a small example, but that's right now, that job that a lot of people made their livelihood of, just like these little jobs, is gone. Yeah. In a key way, has given a lot of people with not a huge amount of programming skill or understanding potentially like yourself. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly no expert software developer. Access to to build this stuff where they wouldn't have prior. But at the same time, so basically you, you, you're staring down kind of like an automation innovation which historically has not come from programmers because they're the ones who've been building automated solutions. Mm. I kind of like, oh, okay, we're sort of not necessarily on equal footing to the Hollywood screenwriters, but you know, there's something that's definitely different in our profession. But the software developers also are ground zero for 
the argument that this stuff is all going to be fine. Because, you know, as we sort of alluded to before, historically, technological advances in the economy causes a lot of disruption, potentially some job losses, but then creates enough economic value that you grow the pie. Um, the the economy- jobs moves. Like, yeah, the computer came along. It's not like we had 50% unemployment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Excel can do what an entire room full of people working used to do in an office in the 1950s. That didn't necessarily mean those people lost their jobs. The yeah, economy yeah. got bigger, blah, 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 blah. That's probably what's going to happen here. And I think we're about to enter a phase where the amount of code and like software that is being created is going to increase exponentially. Yeah. Because people who can, people can do it with lower skills or people that are more skilled have way more output. And I think that's actually going to result in more programmers existing in the world to like help maintain and build and interface with this software. Mm. So that's kind of like, this is the white pill. This is kind of like the the utopian view. I don't know if it plays out in a utopian way, but I think this is going to like expand things dramatically enough that no one's actually... And I think this may happen across the board Yeah, for all sorts of businesses. I tend to agree that it'll create as many jobs as it ruins. More from the perspective, like I don't have any fundamental insight, but every single time that there's a technological leap or some kind of step change... It's always claimed like this is the one that will remove 50% of the jobs and it never is. No, it and never so, is. So the bet then has to be you're betting against that. You're saying, no, this time it's different. This time it literally be will be the technological change that means that 50% of jobs are gone and we're going to have to fundamentally restructure society. Yeah. And I just don't think that that's going to be no. the case. Although, like, you know, speaking with like an in- insanely present view, but if you're if you're someone with that argument, I think there's no better technology to date than AI for the argument of this is the one that's different. This is what I would hand to the people on the other side of you. You know, especially if you take the slightly more aggressive apocalyptic view where you're like, we're going to start producing ultra intelligences that are smarter than human beings. This is like what the the Google guy said at the beginning. He was like, you know, I think the timeline for building a computer that's smarter than a person, He was, I think his exact quote was like, I used to think it was 30 to 50 years, and now I think it's much sooner. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's that. If we have a super intelligence, you would think that that would disrupt things. You would like think that would- when humans are no longer the smartest thing on the planet other than octopuses and perhaps dolphins, then, <laughs> then, then may- yes, maybe that has a bigger- Maybe, maybe a big, that has a bigger impact on- On like, the way the economy functions, and maybe we have to take more drastic measures to make sure it, it works. But on the other side of the coin, it's like, you know, the people that have said this have never been right before. Will they be right this time? Yeah, and- also, the whole super intelligence thing, like, is that even true? Like, Well, exactly. Is it, is it going to get to that level? Gonna, are we going to have, like, a general, you know, you know, AGI, general intelligence? Like, it, it's like humans in that it can receive any input on any subject and in real time have all of this context and understanding and be able to act on it and understand human empathy and blah, 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 all of that good stuff that we do all the time. And as well as have the vices and, and the negatives, in the human brain, because like all that's part of intelligence. Yeah. Are we going to have that? Is it going to be good at footy? Well, I hope so. If you are already subscribed, like paid subscriber to Down Round, firstly, apologies that you have to hear this at all. It's not our fault, it's Substack's fault. Like, yep. you, we can't just like cut you out so you don't get the ad. No, they don't have the functionality. So I apologize, but also, you know. 
You support, pay for us. Support the lads. Support the fellas. Also, you pay for it, so you must love hearing our voice. So we're just talking. You're probably, I don't know, washing the dishes or on a walk or on the train to work. Here's a little bit extra for you. <laughs> um, but if you're not, if you're not signed up yet, well, first of all, fuck you. Yes. But now that I've said that. You moocha. Exactly. You could have a second episode this week for just $7 a month. Yeah, that's $1.75 an episode. Yep. That's nothing, considering the amount of insight contained within. And if you're American, that's like a dollar twenty. Yeah, exactly. Due to your being, you know, the reserve currency and all that. Yeah, currently. Yeah. Shout out to the Remembi. <laughs> yes, you can go to downround.net to sign up to our paid offering. And if you don't ever want to do that, you can help us out by jumping on iTunes and giving us a review. Yeah, yeah. Leave a, us posi- a, review. a positive one. Yeah, a positive one. It doesn't help us if you leave us a hateful or negative review. <laughs> no, but we'll read out We'll read out a positive review. Yeah, for sure. Even a three... No, I shouldn't encourage that. We'll read out anything five out of five stars only. <laughs> five, stars, five stars only. Yeah. We'll ignore anything below that. No, exactly. 